The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. message today, the title of it, uh, is got a David's 17-round clip of spiritual ammunition from his gospel Glock. Now, you may discern from that that I'm an NRA life member, and you may, have, you may decide that you've come to the wrong church. It's possible. But if somebody comes in here and tries to shoot me, all I can say, I feel bad. I feel bad for him. And if I was you as a member here, I'd hit the deck. The only thing that'll happen is when they do an autopsy on me, then find out I was shot by five different calibers. That's going to be a little hard to figure out what happened. But anyway, it's so sad that uh, people that want to do right have to think about that. But you still do. I am. Uh, you say, Brother Bill, do you think people in your church are armed? Uh, I know they are. Uh, if those folks up there have somebody or so, few of them had had a gun, I believe not so many of them dear folks would have had to die. And I'm for gun control. Uh, my, my version of gun control is everybody has to have a gun. It's the same as Switzerland. If you study the country of Switzerland, everybody has a gun in Switzerland. All the military people take their machine guns home and have to be, and this is true, and have to, have to use them and know how to use them. Switzerland is ready to go to war at any moment. Well, everybody's trained, ready to go. Israel, I've been over there. They're similar. Uh, people that really get in trouble, they don't disarm. They arm. And I, I hate to say it, but uh, it looks like that may be something going on here. But I know there's a God. There's no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Ultimately, it's up to you and I to save America. Why do I say that? If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, seek my face, then I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin, I'll heal their land. That's the formula. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. It's not up to the heathen. They do what they do. Nothing surprises me what they do, does it you, really? But the Christians... Those who claim the name of Jesus, we have gone left as a group. And that is why the ruling came in the other day. It wasn't them. It's on us. We need revival. We need Christians to go back to their roots and repent and get back to reading the Bible with a passion and reading it with a, with a hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then when you read it, obey it. Do what it says. Get serious about God again. It's easy to get off of it, and maybe this will help us as a group. I wanted to talk to you. I felt 
you know, I prayed about this whole thing. Of course, went through a lot of emotions this week, the last couple of weeks, really, what's been going on. And God just brought me back to Psalm 23. Now, Psalm 23 is the most popular psalm in the entire 150 psalms. It's probably the most popular passage of the whole Bible. I preached on uh, Psalm 23 uh, in April of 1996. I preached on it again in April of 2003, and I am preaching on it again today. But neither one of those sermons is the same message because there's just so much to be mined out of Psalm 23. And I apologize for waiting 12 years to come back to it, but that was just God's will. So take your Bibles, open them to Psalm 23. We're going to stay there just a few minutes and go over some 17 specific truth truths that David, through the Holy Spirit, gave him and to, to help him and encourage him and hopefully help you and encourage you. By the time you leave here, hopefully you will be encouraged in God and His Word. Never was more said anywhere in the Bible in such a short way than in Psalm 23. Six verses. Uh, 118 words. Uh, I, I think of the Gettysburg Address being maybe the closest thing I know to it would be the Gettysburg Address, which took a, a little over two minutes to do. If, if you'll bear with me this morning, let me read the Gettysburg Address. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here have gave their lives that that nation might live. It's altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men living and dead who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or to detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living, rather to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion. That we, were highly, we would highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that the government, of the, the government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. 272 words spoken in less than around two minutes. And every school child, at least when I went to school, was required to memorize this, path, this, this short speech. Now, the guy that spoke before him was a very, very educated man. I believe his name was Everest. He spoke for two hours solid at Gettysburg. It wasn't just but a few months really after the battle that they did this. I think Gettysburg was 
July 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and this speech was done November 19th. It wasn't very long after this. The place was fresh. And yet, Abraham Lincoln, after waiting for two hours, by the way, he was added on to the speakers last minute. He gets up and speaks for less than, let's say, three minutes, if he spoke it a little slower than I read it. And do you remember ever a speech at all? Do you remember that two hours? Anything in that two hours? You remember? Think about it. Uh, length does not prove quality, does it? Communication sometimes is is best when it's shorter. I think that's what we learn a little bit from Psalm 23. Uh, Psalm 23 is a is a burst of 17 truths that David fires at us one at a time. Let me go. I'm going to try to make an effort this morning to go through 17 truths with you and be out of here by 2 o'clock. I may get out of here at 2, but it'll be empty. First of all, and most of you quoted, how many quoted uh, Psalm 23 as a child? You, you memorized it and quoted it. How many of you? Okay. How many? I like to vote. How many learned the Gettysburg Address as a child and had to quote it in school? Raise your hand. Oh, not quite as many. Psalm 23 wins out over the Gettysburg Address. I'm glad for that. Psalm 23 is the, very, is the most popular passage requested of funerals. When there's a lot of sadness involved, Psalm 23 is what's brought up. And you'll see why when we finish this this morning by the grace of God. First of all, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. That's relationship. I was going to say relational. It is. It's relationship. The Lord is my shepherd. That's relationship. Christianity is personal if it's anything. It's intimate and relational. When Christians fall into sin, it is because they have no relationship with Jesus Christ. The Lord is not their shepherd. What's going to keep you from sin in your life is this first sentence. The Lord is my shepherd. He's not a shepherd. He's not one of many shepherds. He is my. I hope Jesus is yours today. I love the old Negro spirituals where they talk about my Jesus. Oh, I like it that they, that they were in the midst of a lot of those Negro spirituals written in the midst of suffering, of untold suffering and slavery and no hope for the future. And they grabbed the hold of Jesus Christ and they made him their shepherd. And it changed their life and gave them a song while they were picking cotton till they couldn't pick it anymore. The Lord is my shepherd. I, number two, I shall not want. That's supply. Worry means distrust. Distrust means no faith. No faith means no power. No power means no real God. Many people worship an impotent God. Oh, they worship. But they worship a God that has no power. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's the supply. God, because I have this relationship with Jesus Christ, it's a day-by-day and intimate and personal. He's my supply. He fills my needs. He gives me the supply I need. And consequently, I don't worry. I don't fret. Jesus said, 
the, every day has enough evil. Don't worry about tomorrow. I don't have to worry about tomorrow. Today, you better be concerned about where you're at right now, right at this minute. Don't worry about whether the, the, the thing you put in the oven is going to burn. If it burns, by the grace of God, you get to go out to eat. And don't be bitter at the preacher for going long. After he just preached about the greatness of short things. The third one, he says, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Ooh, that's rest. That's rest. He maketh me. Now, a few things here in the next three. He maketh me, he leadeth me, he restores me. So he makes me. Praise the Lord that God cares about me. That relationship breeds a supply, and then through my relationship and his supply, he begins to do things in my life that I don't even know are good for me, but he knows are good for me. And like any good parent, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. Oh, I'm busy, 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 do, 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 do. But he says, no, no, you got to stop. And I'm going to give you some rest. I'm not talking about laying down and sleeping. I'm talking about rest to the weary soul. Are you weary this morning, dear one? Are you weary of the injustice of the country? Are you weary about what's going on? Are you weary of the insanity of it all? You don't have to be weary if the Lord's your shepherd. You'll not want. Because he's going to make you to lie down in green pastures. He's going to give you the rest you need. You can rely upon him. Worry is stressful. Stress takes away energy. It makes you feel uh, isolated and alone, and it, it, as a doctor is here, it'll change your physical health pattern, give you high blood pressure. I've said a long time, I don't have high blood pressure, I give it. Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd, and he's the answer, and it's relational. It, it, it gives me supply, and then he gives me rest. And fourthly, he leadeth me beside the still waters. That's refreshment. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Relationship leads to supply, which leads to rest, which leads to refreshment. Christians, uh, we don't struggle like the world. We're better than the world. We're calmer than the world. We're steadier than the world. We're... we're in the midst of their out-of-control environment, and we walk calmly and carefully through it. Why? Because he leadeth me in the midst of that chaos beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. That's healing. He restoreth my soul. My soul needs to be restored on occasion. The word restore means to bring back to the original point to the original starting point, healing has a sense of returning me back to new. Uh, I like it in Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, it says, Behold, I make all things new. I take a whole 35 minutes or so and preach on that. Behold, I make all things new. I'm looking for the day when Jesus will declare all things new again. But right now, Right now, right here, by the grace of God. And over 3,000 years ago, when David pens this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, possibly looking at a, at a non-light-polluted, milky way, laying on his back in the grass. He's looking into the stars with no city lights. He's thinking about this. And God's giving it to him. He's getting a healing. 
God brings me back to new again. He returns me to my roots. He, he refills us as we go. So we start out with a relationship, and then that gives us a supply, and then he leads us to rest and refreshment and healing. And sixthly, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. Four things in a row. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. What is that? That's guidance. He does not drive me into the path of righteousness. He leads me. Jesus has walked ahead of me in this world. The Bible says we have not a priest uh, which is not uh, like our... We have not a priest... I'm going to tell you what it is in a minute. Hebrews chapter 4. We have not a high priest which cannot be filled with the feeling, feeling of our infirmities. was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. The first part a little fuzzy on but he's tempted in all points. Christ understands what it is to live in the midst of chaos. He understands. He had the Roman Empire there. He had the soldiers there. He had the Pharisees hating him, the Sadducees hating him. He knows what it is to be in jeopardy. He knows what it is to not have. But no, no. He guides us ahead of us because he's been ahead of us. God will guide you all the way home, beloved. Young people, you 20-year-olds, some of us old people sometimes, we got a flaw. we got a lot of flaws. But one flaw we have is we talk about the past as always being the best. Don't we, old people? All the good old days. Too bad you youngsters weren't born in the 50s, 40s, and 50s, and 60s like us. So because we had, that's when you didn't have to lock your car. You didn't have to left the key in the car. didn't have to lock the house. All of that is true. But I believe the best is yet to come. I believe the best is yet to come. As a believer, as I read the Bible, I guarantee you, based on the authority of the Bible for a born-again Christian, the best is yet to come. I may have a spell. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. He's going to take me home. But he won't take me home if I don't trust him. I gotta trust him. For his name's sake. That's purpose. There's a reason all this is happening. God is going to prove to the doubting angels, to the demons, to the men, to Satan, that you cannot live without him. All that's going on in this world is to prove no one and no thing can live without God. No nation can exist without God. No no, no state can exist. No, no person can ultimately exist in a good shape without God. Why? Because He is all that is defined as good. He is all that's defined as truth. He is all that's defined as life. You're not going to go anywhere else and find it. No. There's no life without Him. For His namesake, the word namesakes, it means who he is. He's truth. He's the only reality in the universe. Brother, get on the gospel train of truth. Get a relationship with Jesus Christ and with God, which will then supply you and rest you and refresh you and heal you and guide you and give you purpose. Then David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's testing. Theory is theory until it's tested. 
Testing proves theory either false or true. You say you believe in Jesus. You say you're a Christian. You say you believe the Bible. You say this. You say that. What God will do in us is he'll take you through the valley of the shadow of death. Remember, it's a shadow. It's a shadow. Because he says, if you believe in me, you shall never die. Believest thou this? And I say today, amen. I'm never going to die. So when I go through the valley with a shadow of death, as a born-again believer, I know it's just a shadow. Now, can shadows scare you? If you let them. If you let them. Ooh, they'll petrify you. God is letting testing come in your life. God is letting shadows of fear and specters and ghosts of fear to come into your life to see if you really are what you say you are. Do you really trust Him? Oh, I sing, I trust Him. Oh, I sing it. I... But do you? Remember, theory is theory until it says, I wouldn't take a medicine that hadn't had some testing. Amen? And by the way, I'm not against animal testing. I would rather see an animal die from a mistake than me. I know just the other day, I ate an animal. It was part of, called the ribeye. I think it comes from a cow. To get that, he had to die. Where are we going with this, man? Most of you... Most of them tree huggers kill, would, they'll eat chicken, which had to be raised and killed, and then they don't want to step on an ant when they walk by because they're afraid he may kill an ant. What now? What's going on? That's because they've gotten away from God. The balance is all gone. The balance is all gone. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's testing. I will fear no evil. That's comfort. The Holy Spirit comforts me. He says, I'll send you a comforter. And he did. And when you, get, when you trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the Holy Spirit has promised you to come in and to seal you as a child of God. And the Bible says in John 14, He will never leave you. Never leave you. Uh, you may want to leave Him, but you ain't getting away. Once you become a child of God, you're not getting away from God. He's coming after you. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12. He has a whole arsenal of tools in which to convince you to come home. My dad had a whole arsenal of tools which convinced me that what he said I probably ought to do. Amen. Am I glad he did that? Glory to God, I'm glad he did that. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's testing. I will fear no evil. That's comfort. The old monster of fear will come by you and whisper in your ear. Boy, I can smell his breath almost. And it's nasty. Fear will come by and whisper in your ear and try to get you to leave trusting God and start trusting in fear. For thou art with me. That's presence. Why he was in the valley and why he didn't have fear is because thou art with me. David understood that God was with him. That's the presence of God. I hope born-again believer today, that you understand what it is to have the manifest presence of God in your life. It is necessary. It is a must to understand that you walk with Him and talk with Him, and He tells you that you're His own. 
You know the most requested song of funerals? In the garden. I come to the garden alone. Why? It has to do with one-to-one relationship and fellowship and intimacy. That's where it goes. That's where it has to go if it's going to be real. Thou art with me. That's presence. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. That's protection. It's not my rod and my staff that comforts me. I'm not comforted in, in the in the 40 caliber Glock I have. I'm comforted in the God I worship. David said, God had taught my fingers to war, but he trusted God. David said that he, he, he was, uh, uh, by the Psalms that he wrote, he was dependent upon God, but he carried his sword. Yeah. He's the presence of God, the protection of God. Oh, God saved me from death. God has saved me from death. I got a story I've told. I've told you everything I've ever probably done and maybe some things my wife has done. But uh, God saved me from death over and over and over again. He hath redeemed my life from destruction. Right, Greta? He hath redeemed my life from destruction. I've been a diver for over 30 years, spent thousands of hours under the water. Did you know that you can't breathe water? Did you know that when you inhale salt water, it is a different kind of drowning than fresh water? It creates a body reaction where the body then fills the lungs up with water to try to get rid of the salt. And even after you're awake and talking for over 30 minutes, you drown on dry land. Unless you get something called, I think, epinephrine or some sort of a stimulant which will stop that reaction in your body. So if you ever drown, I probably just saved a few people right here. If you ever have salt water inhalation, you got to get to help fast. God saved me from near misses. How many, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many near misses have you guys had? Ooh, you probably have some stories coming in where the car, I was going down 41 in the passing lane and here comes headlights towards me one night and a guy was beside me i just flung the thing over the poor guy behind me he couldn't he didn't have time to get out of the way when i looked by it was a it was a uh, q-tip you know what a q-tip is that's a an old old white-haired lady I could see the look of, of confusion in her face as she head on the guy behind us. She didn't know she was going the wrong way in a four-lane highway. She was just confused. Poor soul. God, save me! Didn't save the guy behind us. Save me! On and on it goes. Thy rod and thy staff, they come for me. That's protection. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Now this is getting big here. Thou preparest a table in the very presence of those that would kill me, those that would destroy me. That's tender loving care, if I've ever seen it. In the middle of the attack, in the middle of the accusations, in the middle of the the defeatist language, God tenderly cares for me and for you. God tenderly cares for me in the middle of it. Thou anointest my head with oil. That's consecration. Thou anointest my head with oil. Past my needs, God supplies my wants. 
Delight thyself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of thine heart. You know why? If you delight yourself in the Lord, your desires will be spiritual and, and doable for God to give you. My cup runneth over. He gives me ribeye in the middle of famine. God comes and gives me spiritual ribeye on the bone aged. He with a lot of fat on it. He gives me he gives me this in the middle of trouble. Remember, we're in the valley of the shadow of death. I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest my the preparest uh, table in the midst of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. This is all in the valley of the shadow of death that God does all this. He puts blessings abundant, too big to contain all around me. He puts abundance for my spirit, abundance for my soul, abundance for my body. Then he says the 15th one is, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's blessing, brother. I remember years ago, Troy being about three years old, two years old, in the back seat, we'd have him memorize Psalm 23, one of the first Psalms maybe he ever memorized, Psalm 23. And it's, it's just so sweet to hear the, the, the unpolluted spirit of a three-year-old quote Psalm 23. And how they mispronounce the words a little bit. And how they just so sincerely say it. Surely, and a little three-year-old saying, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's what the promise God gives. That's the truth God gives here. I like a song. It's called, Oh, What a Savior. Oh, what a Savior is mine. Unto the uttermost, wonderful, glorious, oh, what a Savior is mine. Surely, surely. David says, this isn't a guess. I know that surely God will come and help me. That's blessing. And, and 16th is, I will dwell in the house of the Lord. I'm going to stop it a little short from the end of that. I will dwell in the house of the Lord. That is intimacy again. He starts with intimacy he ends with intimacy. I want you to note that. He starts with it. The Lord is my shepherd. He ends with, I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Now, I can tell you this from being, being uh, when my mom and dad moved down to Florida, I lived on Rosewood Road in San Carlos Park, and my mom and dad called me up, and they said, son, we're moving down to Florida, and we like to, we, have a, we found a lot on your street, just about a half a block down the road or so. They asked me, Will it be okay if we live on the same street you live on? I said, I'll let you know. <laughs> I went to Kathy and I said, Kathy, in-law, will it be okay if my mom and dad move on Rosewood Road just down the way here on the same street we live on? I said, Kathy, the call is yours. She said, I would love that. That was a thrill. Because I was hoping she'd say that. 
And I did not intimidate her or threaten her in any way behind the scenes. But I can tell you this much. You don't live beside people voluntarily that are you don't want to. When God says, I will dwell in his house for when I, God says, I will dwell in his house, that means he actually wants me there. He actually, now who knows me more than God? Who knows who I am more than he? Uh, who knows my in and out and the relationship we have? He knows all the bad I've, I've thought and all the bad I've done and all the stupid things I've done and said. And yet in spite of that, because I've trusted in his son, Jesus Christ, he says, I want you to be with me in my house. Many of you, because you're here in Florida, find out you have relatives. Some of you didn't even know some of these relatives were really related until they found out you lived in Bonita in January, February, and March. And then they call you up there from northern Maine, or, or worse than that even, worse than the weather of northern Maine is uh, anywhere north of the Mesa-Dixie, and They, they, they call you up and say, you know, I'm the third cousin of the second nephew, and you and I are family. I, I, I looked you up in the genealogy of the Mormons, and I found out that, that you are part of our family. And is it possible that I could come down and stay in a spare bedroom for, oh, a couple months? And you go, uh, let, me, let me get back with you. Kathy, you want, no! No! I'm sorry. Uh, no. You don't stay with people that you don't like. You don't stay with people that you don't want to be with. And it thrills me more than anything on anything I've said so far is, surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now forever, that's the 17th round. Forever, that's eternity. That's eternity. God doesn't want me to stay there a short period of time he wants me to stay there forever. I cannot wear my welcome out with God. Hallelujah. When I took my vows with my wife, as much as I like her, as much as I love her, I knew it was not going to be forever. <laughs> Thank you for laughing, brother, because I thought I was going to get right run out of here on when you folks get married, you may take and say forever, but it's not really true. Because, brother, when you took a vow to this sweet woman here, it was just for this time. Because as soon as you die, the Bible says there's no marrying and giving in marriage in heaven. We're going to be like the angels of God. We're all going to have such innocency that we can have intimacy without marriage. There'll be no physical relations because there won't need to be because we're not going to procreate because one of the purposes of all that is procreation. Duh, seems to be a misunderstood concept, but we, we have a intimacy because of the no evil, and we'll be able to have, I mean, if, if Adam and Eve could walk in the garden naked and not know it, how innocent is that? It's innocent. 
No thought of evil, no lust whatsoever. And we're going to be able to fellowship and walk with each other for all eternity because of the, of, the, of the cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son who died, who was buried, and the third day rose again because he died for our sins because no other way could we ever make it in an environment like that because how can you undo one sin that you ever did? You can't. You can't go back and undo anything. You can't go back and erase anything except Jesus Christ, God's Son, in representation of you and for me, and did it. And God the Father accepted it in the resurrection. And says, this is the one. Oh, there's a lot of messiahs out saying that, you know, there'll be a lot of people come, be a lot of messiahs come, a lot of false prophets come, Muhammad and all the rest of them. A lot of false prophets are going to say, but there's just one that I've sealed as my son. That's the one I resurrected. Jesus Christ. He's the one. So it starts out with relationship which gives you supply that causes us to rest and be refreshed, which heals our wounds, gives us daily guidance, supplies purpose for living, but not without deep valleys of testing. But in those valleys, we find comfort. We find his presence, ample protection, tender loving care, deep consecration, abundance of blessings through his intimacy forever. Psalm 23. Father, we pray this morning the Spirit of God would help us to understand the comfort that is found in Psalm 23. Father, we pray that there be one here without Christ that does not know for sure if they die, they go to heaven, that they may have the bravery and the courage and care of their soul to come and speak to us about it. If their ladies will put you with us sweet lady, and go to the back room. There's rooms back there where you can have confidentiality, quietness, and in kindness, someone will deal with you if you'd like to come in a moment when we sing. If you're here and you don't know for sure you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's been more of a religion than it has a person. Oh, there's a lot of that. People tell me all the time, I'm Catholic, I'm Lutheran, I'm Methodist, I'm Baptist, I want to know, are you born again, child of God? Do you know Jesus Christ one-to-one? Do you pray with him, walk with him, talk with him? Do you base what you know on the word of God that he wrote? Do you walk in truth? Maybe this morning, you say, Brother Bill, that's not me. I need to be saved. I need to make a decision today. Jesus said, in Romans, it says this. By the Holy Spirit, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Have you believed? Do you believe in your heart? And will you confess with your mouth that you know Jesus? You believe Jesus Christ, in fact, died and was buried and rose again the third day for you. The Bible says if you'll do that, God will make you his child. He'll let all of that forgiveness go on your account. And all of your sin will go on Jesus. And you'll be free. You'll be released out of your prison. And all those 17 good things in Psalm 23 will be released upon you. Maybe that's you this morning. And dear Christian, it could be you. You haven't walked like David talked about there. You've been afraid. You've been on your own. Maybe you've been lured away by this old world system, thinking somehow it was more permanent than God's system. 
But it'll all fade away into ash someday. And the only thing left are those who follow God. Lord Jesus, please make it plain. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Two verses just as I am.